Hello, I'm Philip Sales. In this video, I'm interviewing Michelle Dyson, a government lawyer. We'll be speaking about the detailed development of policy proposals uh, for legislation uh, by a government department. Uh, Michelle, we've reached the stage where the department has worked up a policy, the minister is happy with it, and it has been cleared by Cabinet. What happens then? Well, you're really entering the, the, the detailed um, phase of the, the process and critical, the critical part of that is instructing parliamentary council. This is the lawyer's role, policy official has, has um, a supporting role to play, um, but the lead now moves to the lawyer. Who are parliamentary council? What do they do? Um, parliamentary council, they draft primary legislation. They don't draft the secondary, or on the whole they don't draft secondary legislation, but they draft um, primary legislation. So all bills will be drafted by uh, the, the Parliamentary Council. The so they're drafting it. specialists, is, is yes. that it? Yeah, yeah. So the, and the lawyer has to draft instructions to Parliamentary Council which have a reasonably sort of specific format. You have to set out all the background law um, the, the, sort of the existing law in as much detail as you can. You would set out the, the general sort of thrust of the policy and then you get into the real detail of exactly what the department wants to achieve in as much detail as possible. And you would expect the process of instructing parliamentary council to be pretty drawn out. We call it a sort of iterative process. You'll, you'll send off your instructions to parliamentary council. They'll come back with lists and lists of questions about what do you mean about this, have you thought about that, um, you'll then go back, again the lawyer, but obviously dis in discussion with the um, policy official because it's, it's their policy and this process can go on for, for some time and see a, a longer bill you would expect it to go on long for longer but actually short bills can be pretty complicated as well once you start to, to dig beneath the surface. Uh, and what emerges in this iterative process? What, what are you trying to achieve and what's Parliamentary Council trying to achieve? You're trying to achieve a draft bill. Um, that's, that's the sort of product. But in terms of the policy, you're really trying to sort of get underneath it and look at, look at all, the, all the issues and make sure there are no unforeseen um, consequences of, of, of what you're proposing. So can you give us an example about this process in action? Yeah. Um, well, a few years ago, I worked on a bill, female, the Female Genital Mutilation Act of 2003, where this, um, this was a relatively straightforward, well, a, a very straightforward policy in, in principle. Ministers felt very strongly that um, we had criminalised the act of female genital mutilation, but the evidence was that people were taking their daughters abroad to have the, the operation performed. So the proposal was criminalise taking your daughter abroad um, to have this operation performed. But once we started sort of developing this policy, it became clear that if you just made it a, an offence to take your child abroad, then there'd be endless loopholes around that. And what happens if you can prove that you actually took your child um, abroad for a holiday? But, oh, by the way, this happened to happen while you were there. Or what happens if you put your child on the plane but don't actually take her? Or what happens if you find someone else uh, to take her, and that person doesn't know anything about w what the purpose is, um, but nonetheless they're doing the taking, so it would seem wrong that they should uh, commit the criminal offence, but the person um, who you would want to, to cover would be staying at home and therefore not taking their child. 
so what we ended up doing in this case was we, we reverted to sort of age-old criminal law concepts of aiding, abetting, counselling and procuring to try and cover all those sorts of, you know, the person who stays at home just organising it would be covered by that. So that's the sort of thing where you're, you're trying to get underneath what, what, what the policy is really driving at. So did you try different <laughs> alternatives and, uh, and then came back to aiding and abetting? Yeah, I think, I think it was a case of, uh, in this case, just sort of sitting around the table and, and talking through all the different scenarios that we would want to capture and, and working out what the best way in law was to cover those. What happens <laughs> with a, a, a complex policy which you're trying to implement. Can you give us an example of that? Well, there's another one um, which uh, comes to be known as familial homicide. What does that mean? What does that mean? Um, it's the case where you have classically a child who, um, who dies and you know that they've been killed by one of their two parents or maybe the mother and the mother's boyfriend. Um, because of the circumstances of the death, it's occurred in the house or, or something. But you don't know who 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 did it, and neither you know it's one of the two, but you don't know which of the two, and neither will implicate the other. Until we created this new <coughs> offence of familial homicide, you could get the two of them for child neglect um, or child cruelty, but you couldn't actually get them for for the death. So no one, you know clearly have, have a child who suffered an unlawful death and yet no one's um, being prosecuted or convicted for that death. So what we, what we came up with was um, a fairly novel offence whereby um, what we said was if you have a child at risk and you have um, two people in that household and the death of the child is foreseeable, which it usually is in these cases because you've got a child who's you know, where social services are involved and lots of injuries, um, then if the child then dies, then both people are responsible for the death on the basis that either they killed the child or um, they should have prevented the death. And the novelty about this offence was that we, we specifically provided that the prosecutor didn't have to prove whether they killed the child or um, should have prevented it because of the circumstances, you know that they are in one or other of those categories and that's enough to get them for the death. So either would be sufficient uh, yep. uh, for, for them to be convicted. Yeah. And in fact, we've had, there have been quite a lot of high-profile cases um, where people have been convicted for this, and the, no, um, notably the notorious case of Baby P. I see. So, so, the, so the, it's the, worked. The, it's the, the, the mother and the boyfriend in that case were convicted of this offence yep. for the death. Yeah. Um, now, what sort of uh, uh, at what stage do the the knotty legal problems have to be uh, worked out? Well, you would be wanting to get underneath them right from the start. You know, if you've got a, um, a human rights issue that's crying out at you, you, you would want to address that right from the start. But often they don't actually come out until this stage when you're really into the um, to the in depth detail of the policy. And you might well find that at this stage you've got you run into issues classically the, the um, human rights ones. You might um, even need to go to the attorney general, who's the government's chief legal advisor. We never say in public when we go to the um, attorney general. There's convention that we don't. But but you might well, if you've got a sort of big, uh, say, human rights issue um, in relation in relation to a bill, your minister might well want to involve the attorney general. And is that to get an authoritative, 
authoritative legal view within government, uh, uh, what the legal position might be. Yes. <clears throat> now, there's a practice of pre-legislative scrutiny. Mm. Can you tell us what that's about? Pre-legislative scrutiny is um, scrutiny by Parliament of the bill, but it's before it's introduced in, into Parliament. So it's before it goes through its sort of proper parliamentary stages. And the purpose is to give Parliament a chance to, to scrutinise the, the bill with the assistance of interested parties. I mean, they'll tend to take evidence from people on the bill and then prepare a report at the end. And the idea is that that gives Parliament a chance to influence the development of the policy before you, you introduce the bill into Parliament. So is there a draft mm. bill on the table which yes. Parliament is looking yeah. at at that stage? Mm. And what is the role of officials in this process? It's quite hard work for officials, actually, pre-legislative uh, scrutiny, because what, what you will have is you'll have a, a committee, a parliamentary committee that's set up to, to look at the bill. It will take evidence from a whole range of people. Officials will probably go to those evidence sessions so they can see how things are developing. I mean, you would hope that officials have actually engaged with all, all those people and, and know what they're going to say in advance. One of the evidence sessions will be with the minister and officials will need to prepare the minister for, for that session. So the minister will want brief, detailed briefing on everything and he'll want uh, meetings with officials. And then officials will often sit with, or the lead officials will sit with the minister as he's giving evidence and in some cases take questions themselves. And what materials does mm. the department um, prepare for pre-legislative scrutiny and to provide to the committee? It would just depend on, on, on what, what the uh, committee wants, but obviously it will have to provide the bill um, and the explanatory notes, which, as it sounds, are the, the notes that explain each, uh, each clause of the bill. You'll also need um, an impact assessment, the, the, the document that explains the, the costs and benefits uh, of the policy. Behind the scenes, there will also be... Um, a memorandum that sets out the human rights uh, position, what the, the department, sort of the department's analysis of the human rights compatibility of the bill. But you won't actually provide that to, to the committee. But that's an important document for uh, for internal purposes because eventually the minister, um, before the bill is introduced into parliament, is going to have to sign what we call a Section 19 certificate, made under the Human Rights Act 1998 to assure Parliament that the bill is compatible um, with, with, um, with the European Convention on Human Rights. And mm. how effective is pre-legislative scrutiny? It can, be, it can be very effective. I mean, I actually worked on a bill that's slightly sort of infamous because there was a, the corruption bill where the report of the committee was, was not good and uh, we ended up not taking the bill forwards. I don't think that happens very often. More often, you will get the committee being critical of um, bits of the policy. And although that doesn't mean you then have to change the policy, you'll be on the back foot when the bill is finally introduced into Parliament if you don't have, if you, either you haven't changed it or you don't have a, a very good explanation as to why you haven't changed it. And, and what <laughs> makes uh, pre-legislative scrutiny go badly? What, what factors... Uh, uh, contributed to um, the corruption bill, for example, uh, being criticised? I mean, I think in that case it was because the bill covered too much behaviour. It was, it was making too much behaviour corrupt, and it was probably right that they were, they were critical of that. I think also 
um, engagement with the people who are going to give evidence beforehand so that they understand where the department is coming from. Um, so you can have you know proper dialogue with them is really important because then you know where they're going to be you, you know what, um, what bits of your bill are likely to to be criticised and you have a chance beforehand to actually discuss that with them. And what sort of people will give evidence to the committee at the pre-legislative stage? <sighs> really, anyone who's interested. I mean, I think what usually happens is the the committee will look at the people who've written in. At the time of the, co- the the consultation, that will give them a sense of you know non government governmental organisations who are interested. If it's a law commission bill, you would expect the the law commission to give evidence. Really, a whole range of people. And the committee, which is mm. set up to look at the bill, is, is it set up specially for that bill, or is it one of the standing committees it, in Parliament? It varies. It can be set up specially, or, or it can be the standing committee with responsibility for that department. In our next video, Michelle will be explaining the role of officials in handling the passage of a bill through Parliament.